Talking sports as they report Back and forth from their home court They talk the sports if you're not sure They talk of sports and then talk more About all sports East, West, South, North Ryan talks sports Andrew retorts And Torch will hear as they both sort Through all the sports they both support The Walk-Ons Hello and welcome This is the Walk-Ons Podcast I'm Ryan Reeves It's Thursday, July 1st, 2021 And happy Bobby Bonilla Day, my friends Yes, today Once again, the greatest day that's not named Christmas. Bobby Bonilla is going to collect that $1.2 million check from the Mets, which he will until 2025, Andrew. Man, I wish I could get one of those annual checks. Yeah, it's like Santa Claus, um, the Tooth Fairy, the Easter Bunny, and Bobby Bonilla. They're all just (laughs) Just everyone like a childhood dream. It's a childhood dream right there to not do anything with $1 million. That thing is so amazing because I really do. I am excited for Bobby Bonilla Day every year because I cannot believe a guy like that can fleece in an organization so badly. I mean, I was just kind of going down the rabbit hole again. <laughs> he was owed $5.9 million from the Mets. And instead of just coughing it up, just telling him to go away, said, all right, we're going to pay you $1.2 million for the next 25 years with an 8% kicker. And they're going to end up basically paying him like $25, $28 million. Um, that doesn't sound like a good deal if, if you're the Mets. I don't no, know. It sounds like a good idea if you're Bobby Bonilla, though. I just, yeah, I wonder what was going on where they were like, let's, uh, let's pay like – five times as much money to this guy just because we don't want to pay him six million dollars right now yeah no idea what was going on there i mean i can't believe that a mlb franchise couldn't scrape together about six mil in 2000 but maybe that's you know a a a nice highlight on where that mets franchise was in, in the 2000s but also not only that another little nugget this is actually one of two deferred payments that my man bobby bonilla because there's also a 500k payment coming from the mets and the orioles uh, for the next five to seven years as well. So my man Bobby's making close to $2 million a year just for doing nothing, uh, which is fantastic. And so really, I think it's less Bobby Benilla, Andrew. It's more whoever was on his team negotiating for him. Uh, those people deserve a nice little commish. Yeah, no, it's definitely 1A is Bobby Benilla, 1B is Batman for the hero we don't deserve, but for whom we desperately need. So Is it the Christian Bale Batman or the Robert Pattinson? Oh, come ben on. Affleck. Don't say the Ben Affleck. It's Christian Bale. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah, Um, enough talk about Bobby (laughs) Bonilla. Well, listen, let's go from one guy making money to a whole bunch of other young people making money. Uh, It's monumental day here with the NCAA. As of today, all 50 states, student athletes are able to make money off the NIL name, image, and likeness. Uh, I think, Andrew, it's about time. We've been talking about this for weeks. Personally, I didn't think the NCAA would have the stones to actually follow through with it. Maybe they were kind of forced into it, especially when they lost that 9-0 beatdown in the Supreme Court. But, I mean, it's a huge day for athletes, and you're already seeing deals flying off the shelves. I mean, there are athletes all over the country who are making some marketing deals, and, you know, it's about damn time. Yeah, no, one, I want to say great transition. I don't know if you had that prepared, but that was really well done. I did not. I did not. Everything's coming on the cuff, dude. Uh, and, and two, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a huge decision and, you know, don't give, don't give the NCAA any credit. They did this because they got their asses handed to them by the Supreme court. This is not a decision they made because they, it was the right thing to do. They did it because they had to, um, but yeah, it's, it's monumental. But for those that like, you know, may not quite know, it's not as simple as just, Oh, the athletes all get paid. Now they'd all get, you know, a salary or anything. It's basically if your name image or likeness as the, as the term is used, is used for anything, whether it's promoting like a local car dealership or a product, then you can benefit off that. You're not actually like the university is not giving you a salary. They're not giving you anything like a salary or anything, basically. I don't know. I can't speak right now, but yeah. So it's just not as simple as the, the players are making money um, hand over foot. It's going to be purely when it's appropriate for them specifically to be used. And so 
but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a long time coming, a huge day in college sports since 1906 when the NCAA was started, probably the biggest day since then. Yeah, it is huge, right? And I think you hit that hit the nail on the head too, right? It's not like that pay for play type thing, right? Where you're not supposed to be paying athletes to come to school X, Y, or Z, which I think we all know it's still going to happen um, because it, that's just the nature of the beast. But it's nice to know that maybe, you know, some of those smaller schools, some of those athletes who are rowers, gymnasts, tennis players, I mean, you get a chance to make a little money and, you know, get, get, get your, your just due because you're making money for that, for whatever your college that you're playing for. So it is about time. And, you know, I think the other thing about this, and to be honest with you, Andrew, I'm a little bit sick of the whole thing, but it's such a big story. We have to hit on it. But one of the interesting things that's kind of come out of today, right, is sort of looking back, it's almost opening up this can of worms. It's not about what's going to happen here from today on in the future, but you're looking at, you know, certain uh, unjustly uh, dude things that happened to former NCAA players, right? We're going to have Cassius Winston on, former MSU great, uh, Michigan State point guard. He's going to talk a little bit about that. But, you know, one of the names that was trending today was Reggie Bush. I mean, Reggie Bush, one of the greatest, if not the greatest college athlete that I've ever seen play in my entire life. Of course, he had his Heisman taken away. He had his stats impacted. And he's out there saying, listen, man, it's about time to get my Heisman back. And everything that I've seen, it seems like the NCAA has absolutely no interest in redoing that and giving him his Heisman back, which is absolutely stupid. Even when the NCAA tries to do something right, they still put their foot in their mouth. But I mean, what else do you see happening from this? Maybe that wasn't just for the future, like I said, but guys like Reggie Bush or the Fab Five who lost wins, you know, based on some of this stuff that the NCAA came down unfairly. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said at the top, the NCAA doesn't do things because it's the right thing. You know, they only do things because they're forced to by public pressure. And hopefully public pressure gets Reggie Bush's Heisen back. Um, I mean, clearly he was the best player in college football that year. It had nothing to do with the fact that he got some money. You know, same with USC winning all those games. Um, yeah, the Fab Five. I mean, SMU, do you think they can give them back their football team from the mid-80s? <laughs> Here's five seasons you guys missed out on or however long it was. I mean, yeah, it's you can't really retroactively go back and fix things, even though like in theory they should. Um, and I mean, you know, the other thing too is like, you know, this probably isn't the final step for this type of legislation. I mean, it starts with this and then I'm sure in 10 years from now, it's going to look even entirely different with, you know, again, not maybe salaries, but you know, more kind of access to marketing opportunities, you know, universities are going to hire entire staffs to kind of oversee this, to make sure that they do it correctly and lawfully. So yeah, it's honestly just the first step in what will surely be, as we said, the, the most drastic shift in college sports since, you know, literally the, the genesis of the entire notion of it. Yeah, there you go. Look, the NCAA can, creating jobs already, just doing doing what they can for the better man. I mean, look, the last thing about that Reggie Bush thing, that thing is so stupid. Not only was he great, but I mean, most of those guys in those highlight tapes that he's running away with, they probably made some money here, here, there, or somewhere else, right? I mean, it's not like he was the only one who ever took some money for this, that, or the other thing. I mean, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. I think the other big story, of course, just for you gamers out there, EA NCAA football is going to come back in 2022. It's going to have all the licenses for all the players and the team. So now you nerds finally have even more time to put, to spend on that game once it comes out in 2022. But Andrew, do you have any last thoughts before we throw it to Cassius Winston? Because I'm very excited about this interview. Yeah, I'm really excited to see Sam Howell on that cover. Maybe a little dual cover like him and Spencer Rattler. I don't know. Doing no, you Madden. don't want to see Sam Howell on there. Don't you know about the Madden curse? That that goes with NCAA oh, it's, too, dude. It's, it's, see it's, Sam yeah. Howell on there, you can count a, a 1 in 11 season for UNC this year. Sam Howell's oh, yeah. going to break his leg in game one. Here's the thing, though. I mean, if he's on the cover, it's after the year, and he's already in the NFL, so... I yeah. see. Okay. Yeah, that's fair, I guess. But it's called the Madden curse, not the not the NCAA football curse, Ryan. 
We had Chris Urban last week. You should know this. That curse pervades all the way across, my man, down into college athletics. I promise you. But hey, you know, I guess if you can, if you can win enough games this year, maybe you won't, you won't mind if Carolina is doing bad again for the next twenty years. Yeah. Well, as long as Mac is there, we'll be fine. <laughs> Mac will not be there. He will not be on this earth in twenty. No, years. not in twenty years. Sorry. Right. <laughs> God bless you, Mac Jones. Uh, stay, stay around. Mac Jones on the brain. Oh, Mac Brown, you sweet boy. Mac Jones might not be here either. Who knows? We'll find out. But let's toss it to Cassius Winston coming up, uh, and we will see you right back. All right, our guest today is a former two-time Big Ten first-teamer and the 2019 Big Ten Player of the Year. He's the conference's all-time leader in dimes. He's a Detroit Hoops legend, Spartan great, and he just wrapped up his rookie season with the Washington Wizards. It's Cassius Winston. Cassius, how are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. How you doing? Doing very well. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. This is this is really exciting for us. This is awesome, man. But listen, I think it's the perfect time to have a guy like you on, right? You know, today, the monumental news in NCAA, uh, the NIL is passed in all 50 states. So now, starting today, uh, everybody in college athletics can profit off their name, image, and likeness. So my question for you is, as somebody like you, you got a sweet name, sweet game, but you just left college athletics, right? I mean, you were somebody who probably would have benefited greatly from the NIL. I mean, are you a little bit salty? You didn't get a chance to participate or you just kind of <laughs> win with your fellow student athletes here? Uh, I mean, a little bit. I can't say that I'm not. I can't say <laughs> I'm not. You know what I mean? I feel like that would have been something cool to experience, something that would probably been very beneficial in a lot of ways. So I definitely can say I felt a little type of way that it was a year later. Yeah, absolutely. What What do you think if, if you had the chance, right, if you could go back, if you were a senior right now in Michigan State, what would be, you know, one sort of uh, marketing opportunity that you might want to seek out? I feel like with, Cat, with a name like Cassius Winston, you could do a whole lot of good, man. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I never really thought about that. Like I said, it wasn't really a, a like it wasn't really nothing that we could think of because it yeah. wasn't an opportunity for us. So I don't know if I had the chance, maybe I'll think of a whole bunch of stuff, but I don't know anything that I'll probably do. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, no, obviously it's, it's a huge shift for college athletics, but another new development that's really been impacting college basketball specifically is obviously the more lax transfer portal, which was put in last year and now looks like it's here to stay. You know, it's allowing players to move between programs much more easily than before. Speaking just from your perspective as a player, I mean, how do you expect college basketball to look, you know, five or 10 years down the road as a result of this change? That's a good question. I mean, I think it just opens up a lot of opportunities for certain people. You don't know situations. I feel like a lot of guys are going to move a lot because, you know what I mean, that's a that's a big factor when thinking about going to a different place that you got to sit out a year. So I think now that they lifted that, uh, it's going to be a lot more transfers, a lot more people using that as an option. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to play out. Like I said, it's all situations. It's all like certain people need to leave for a better opportunity. Some people need to stick it out. You just you never know it depends on the person yeah you know what and I think a, a good part of that too is right sometimes it's just it's like a coaching shift or a culture shift right with lead guys to that want to transfer right but you know for someone like you at Michigan State you played with Tom Izzo the legend who's been there forever uh, you know just can you talk about sort of your relationship with Tom Izzo maybe you know if we want to bring it back to the NIL a little bit like how maybe your rear recruitment might be, might have been a little bit different back in that day um I mean me and Coach Izzo got along uh, really well there, actually. Like I said, I, I appreciate Coach Izzo, everything he's done for me, the opportunities he's gave me. Um, I don't know. I don't necessarily know, like I said, what uh, – if you could be paid, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how that works from a coaching standpoint. Like, how do you sell that in a way that's like – you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't want to come to a kid who's in 
high school going to college and your first thing is talk about how much you can get paid and stuff like that. Like that's not necessarily yo what no, you go to college for and like what's the best you're going to get out of it. But now that that's an option, like I'm pretty sure that's going to have to be talked about. So like I said, I don't know how different that would be. And like I said, these new kids, new generation, they're going to have to be careful. It's going to be careful. It's going to be a thin line between, you know what I mean? Like it's money, you're going to make money, but you're not going to make money that could change your life. You know what I mean? Like that's the goal still going to college to build that opportunity. So you got to, it's going to be a little thin line that, that they're going to have to walk and cross. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when you're talking about money too, let's talk about the real deal, right? The NBA, you got, you got your first taste of the NBA action this year. You're a rookie with the Wizards. I'm just curious for somebody who's a backcourt legend in his own right, being you, what was it like to, to get to play with and learn from guys like Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal? Oh man, it was amazing. It was amazing. You know what I'm saying? To see those guys up close and personal, watch them. And you know what I mean? That's the, that's the highest level of basketball. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're at that level consistently. They play at that level at the highest level in the world so to be able to be so close to them and pick their brains and ask their questions you know I mean I try to ask as many questions as possible just because I want to know you know what I mean what it took uh, how, how they got there and how they stay there like you know what I mean to be able to do that for such a long period of time like those guys are some of the best players in the league so to be able to watch them and be under them has been great for me absolutely yeah and another player I'm sure you've learned a lot from in the past is Chris Paul and obviously the Phoenix Suns just secured their spot in the NBA finals this year you know, what has kind of been your thoughts on the NBA playoffs right now? Obviously, you know, a lot of injuries and a lot of teams no one expected. I mean, I'm sure you're watching. What are kind of just your general thoughts on what's been going on this postseason? I mean, it's been crazy. You just – I think this is the first time you don't know, like, what's going to happen. You know what I mean? So, every game, every matchup, you know what I mean? Like, I think every team, going, somebody going to get their first ring, like, no matter what the outcome. So, it's kind of like it's, it's been great to watch people step up, people change into new roles, people grow into players that they become in. Like, that's that's what you do it for. So, to see these guys step up and play at the biggest moment and play such good basketball, it's been very interesting to watch this entire time. Yeah, do you have a team you want to win? That too, right? You, you're watching these guys play at the highest level. We've got some of the best. I mean, I think this this time now, right, you, you look back, you've got the Magic Johnson years, Michael Jordan, but I think we've got the, the best set of young stars maybe ever in the history of the NBA. But when you take a look at those guys, right, I mean, I think everybody's everybody who's an NBA player, your, your dream is to be that guy who everybody's watching right on, on the final stage of the Western mm-hmm. Finals. What are, you, what are you looking to work on this offseason so you can get a chance to, uh, you know, maybe be make your mark in the playoffs here in the future? Uh, definitely just uh, growing physically. You know what I mean? That's, that's the big thing, just growing physically, being able to go out there, bang, be conditioned, you know what I'm saying, get up and down the court, get to my spots. Uh, defensively help me out better, you know what I mean? Just all those things like that so I can be out there and I can produce, you know what I mean? That's what you want to do. You want to be out there, you want to make plays, and you want to be able to do that at the, the best of your ability. So I'm grinding every day, you know what I'm saying, working towards it. My opportunity comes, just try to take full advantage of it. Gosh, I just have a question real quick that's kind of a, a, a personal one, but I obviously attributes to you. So as a Carolina fan, I can speak to when, uh, when you guys beat Duke in that Final Four when Zion was there. That was one of my – favorite moments that isn't my personal favorite team, but it was a great moment to watch. Can you just like speak to what it was like to play against guys like Zion and RJ Barrett that at the time they're college players, but you know, a lot of people think Zion could potentially be, you know, the future face of the league. I mean, yeah, it was crazy. Like I said, the game was nuts. Atmosphere was nuts. Uh, Pretty sure nobody thought we was going to win that game or could win that game. And then we played against, like I said, they had great players on that team, four pros, maybe, uh, maybe even more. Like I said, they had a lot of NBA players on that team. So to go out there and play at that that level, to go to a Final Four against them guys and then come out victorious, 
You know what I mean? A lot of credit to my team, coaches, staff, everybody that was behind us in that game. It was nuts. It was nuts to go out there and make something happen that can go down. You know what I'm saying? Like, people are going to probably remember that game for a long, long time. Yeah, that game was was absolutely epic, man. And you know what? Let's go back even further, right? Because not only were you a star at Michigan State, now you're in the NBA, but you were Michigan's Mr. Basketball, state champion, undefeated season, and a highly competitive division out there in, in, in Detroit. I'm just curious, you know, being someone like you, being, you know, now you got the AAU circuits. Everybody's kind of coming up by the time you're, you're 12, 13, 14, you already play in high-level competition. But, you know, for somebody like you, what was, that, what was that kind of like, you know, from a high school standpoint? I mean, big-time games, big-time crowds, and, you know, kind of get you ready for, for that big-time moment in D1. Uh, it just it opens your eyes to the talent that's out there. You know what I mean? It opens your eyes to, you know what I mean? It's a lot of people playing basketball in this world, and it's a lot of people playing at a really, really high level. So to be exposed to that early and to be able to do well in it, you know what I mean? It gives you a lot of, like, just confidence. You know what I mean? Even though I didn't go to the NBA right away with a lot of guys I played with, like, I was, I was out there with them. So they went to the NBA, and now I was like, okay, I got a chance to go to the NBA because I was just out there with those guys. So. It gives you a lot of confidence. It gives you a lot of exposure. It gets you used to playing in front of people. You know what I mean? Because once you get to college, like, there's going to be a bunch of, bunch of people watching you, eyes on you, recruits. going to be a lot of things at stake. So it gets you used to playing for something that, you know what I mean, has stakes against high-level competition, against a lot of people competing for the same thing. Can you name names, some of the dudes that you played with in, in, uh, in high school who have now gone on to their own careers? Or maybe who was, who was the toughest cover that you had? Oh, uh, man. I mean, my class – in my class out of high school, we had Darren Fox, Jason Tatum, Miles Bridges, Josh Jackson. Uh, just I don't know a whole bunch of like we got a lot. There's a lot of NBA players through that class. I don't know. I can probably can't name them off the top of my head right now. Uh, but like I said, a lot of talented players. A lot of people are doing really well in the league right now too. So you know, what I mean, it was, it was very talented. That's unreal. Yeah. Speaking of kind of, you know, famous names from uh, your high school days, you went to University of Detroit Jesuit High School, which has this notable alumni by the name of Gus Johnson. I'm sure you've heard <laughs> uh, Do you have any, like, favorite moments or stories featuring Gus? I'm sure, obviously, the two of you have, have come into contact, both being great alumni from that school. Yeah, no, nah, uh, especially Gus because of a couple of my games at Michigan State. Uh, like I said, great guy, legend, legend. You got it right. He's a legend. Uh Great moments. That's crazy. I don't know. I mean, we talked plenty of times, uh, met up plenty of times, talked about just me getting to the NBA, me doing what I need to do in college. Like I said, he's been a great uh, guidance for me, a great guy to kind of reach out to and talk to through my through my career. I love it, man. Hey, listen, Cassius. So we uh, we couldn't help any guests that we have on, right? We want to we want to check them out, check out their Instagram, see what they're see what they're up to. But man, I couldn't help but notice you have a sick T-shirt and hoodie collection, man. Do you, do you have a favorite one in that mix? Favorite? Ah, favorite is tough. Uh, pick a favorite? <laughs> yeah, it's hard to pick a favorite. I got a lot. I got a lot. I got a lot of each. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I can pick a favorite one. That's that's a tough question. I got a lot of them. It's got to be like occasion-based, right? You know, if you're going to a party, you're going to an event, it's got to be the right one. It's got to feel yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just match the vibe. Match the vibe. Depends on what we're doing. I, I probably put something together to go with it. I love it, man. We're vibing out. Andrew, you got anything else for our board, Cassius? Yeah, no, I have one more question for you, Cassius. And it's, you know, kind of going off that mentality of your clothing being really important to what you're doing. Um, so we were doing a little bit of research before the interview. We, we found out you're very superstitious when it comes to your headband. Um, uh-huh. you know that it goes back to even when you were seven years old. You want to kind of tell us what's going on there? Uh, yeah, so I'm not as superstitious no more. I'm over superstitious now that I have to wear a headband. Like, if I don't wear a headband in the game, 
I just feel like I can't play for some reason. I feel off. Like I feel terrible. So I got to wear a headband in the game because when I was little, for some reason, I thought that like my powers were in my headband. You know what I mean? Like I thought that like all my game was in my headband. So if I wasn't playing good, my mom and dad would have like three headbands for me. So if I wasn't playing good, I would take it off and I would switch to a different one. And then all of a sudden I'll start playing better. So I just wear that one until they run out and then switch it up. So when I was little, I thought my powers were in my headband. And then as I got older, I was like, okay, maybe it's me, more me than my headband, but I still needed the headband to kind of, you know what I'm saying, keep me, keep me aligned out there. That's right, man. That's your powers. That's a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah, it's all in there. Like, I was hoping maybe you'd like carry one over, like one of those green Michigan State ones and wearing rocking that for the Wizards. But I guess you're not that superstitious, ah, right? You can swim yeah. off them out a little bit. Yeah, no, nah, I tried New Jersey, you know what I'm saying? Hopefully I got an NBA headband that worked for me. Yeah, at least you're not like a major league baseball player who goes on a hit streak and like doesn't wash his jock for a couple months. That's that's yeah, see, that's nasty. Yeah, can't do that. Can't do that. <laughs> oh, man, you're a better dude than that. Well, Cassius, we appreciate the time, man. We're we're all out of time here, but this was a lot of fun. Thanks for jumping on and uh continued success with your NBA career, my man. Yeah, appreciate that. Appreciate you fellas talking to you. All right, our thanks to Cassius Winston. Before I forget, don't forget to follow him on Twitter at Cassius Winston or Instagram Cassius Winston5. Andrew, that was a lot of fun, man. Yeah, dude, it was, I mean, like, I remember vividly watching Cassius Winston play college basketball, and he was so much fun. He was just one of those college basketball players you knew when you saw him play, like, this dude's going to be a stud. He's going to be up there in Michigan State's, you know, rafters with with Magic Johnson and whoever else. So that was really cool to get to talk to him. And then to hear him, you know, speak about beating Duke was a personal favorite of mine. So thank I'm you. I'm sure that. you love that. But, yeah, Ca- Cassius was was a dog, man. And I absolutely love the <laughs> – the little bit on his his headband because that, that is what you see. You see little number five out there running the point for, for Michigan State in the headband. You know it's Cassius Winston rocking and rolling. But let's talk about some of the big boys. So the NBA playoffs, the Suns. The Suns finally did it. They are in the NBA finals. They beat the Clippers in six. Chris Paul is the savior, the messiah, whatever you want to call him. Uh, I mean, from everything that I'm seeing, especially now with Giannis going down with that scary injury, looks like he's going to miss game five tonight. Uh, I don't see anybody beating the Suns for the title. Do you? I don't, but at the same time, the moment there's a favorite, either all their players or then something, I just, it's just like, I, I am, I'm reserved to saying they probably will win, but at this point, I'm not going to confirm anything. I'm just going to sit back and watch and see the disaster that has been this postseason continue to unfold. Yeah. I mean, listen, before, obviously, two nights ago, right, when, when John Giannis goes down, I mean, now it's 10 All-Stars who are going to miss a game in this NBA playoffs, most in history. Uh, you know, I really just – you just want this thing to stop, man. It's going off the rails, and it's going off the rails in six different directions. It's ugly. Uh, you know, just don't really know what's going to happen on a day-to-day. I mean, we were texting offline and basically saying, you know, especially with regards to the Hawks-Bucks series, I mean, I have no idea what's going to happen game to game. I mean – you know, you got the Hawks, they win game one, and then they get going, get blown out in game two. There's just blowouts left and right. I have no idea what's going to happen every time these guys take the floor. So, I mean, what do you think about tonight, at least? For, let's just focus on tonight's game. With no Giannis, I mean, I still think, personally, the Bucks are a better team than the Hawks, but Trey Young. All you got to do is just say Trey Young, and anything could be up in the air. Yeah, if this were in a vacuum, I would actually probably be picking the Hawks right now because I think Trey Young is going to play. The Bucs are without Giannis, and that's a huge shift to just not just like, oh, you're missing 30 points a game, however many rebounds, however many assists, but like it's just entirely shift the dynamic of the offense. You're asking more of Chris Milton and Drew Holiday in a vacuum. But as we've already said, these playoffs are chaos. So I could sit here and say I'm confident the Hawks will win. That means they're going to lose by 15, 
and they're going to have four players tear an ACL. I'm not wishing that into existence, but it's just, it's impossible to predict what's going to happen. It's more like, let's just sit back and react to what just happened and talk about how nuts it is. Yeah, I mean, it is perfect, right? It just Giannis going down as if there wasn't enough just unknowns in this in this playoffs. It just gets a little bit more murky. I mean, it's like a hazy IPA. You got that stuff floating at the bottom. You're not really sure like what it is. Should I be drinking that? Is that safe for me? I'm not really sure. I can't see through it. It's very opaque. It's just kind of like I'm just like strapped into my seat. Like, I don't know what I'm going to get. Am I going to watch a game that's, you know, it's going to be decided by four points or 40? I have absolutely no idea. I do think that the Bucs are still a good enough team and Chris Middleton is just going to have to have one of those games that he had when he had the fourth quarter uh, a couple of games ago. But l- let me let me just double back to the Suns because I think we're being a little bit unfair to them. We got the game tonight, obviously, in the Eastern Conference. But listen, the Suns are a young team. We've talked about this all year. Young talent. I mean, Devin Booker, right? They, they turned some heads in the bubble last year. You get Chris Paul that comes over there. You get Jay Crowder, some really good veterans. Um, Saric was over there too. Listen, this is a young team, a young core. They're going to have those guys around for a long time. We'll see what happens with Chris Paul. I mean, are we looking at a potential Phoenix Suns dynasty? And I hate to say that word, Andrew, but, I mean, I don't know if there's a better team in the NBA than the Suns right now, and especially looking forward with their roster situation. Well, I don't want to say dynasty, but I'm not going to say it all. They're not going to be really good. Um, What I I think was going to happen, and we saw it happen this year, is there's a ton of great Western Conference teams. And – you know, I mean, if, if Chris Paul resigns, then I think there's a slight chance that this can continue definitely in the next season. Granted, he's, you know, so up, up in his career that it's not like he's going to be there for five years. It's probably going to be three years at the max. And probably by that third year, he's dwindling. But the Lakers are going to be really good. And you know they're going to make some stupid move that no one sees coming, like getting Russell Westbrook or Kyle Lowry or, heck, they could even go after Ben Simmons. They've done weirder shit. Good. Um, are going to be better. They've clearly gotten over some of the, the stuff that's been holding them back, especially if Kawhi can come back and, you know, get back into the flow with this team. The Nuggets are going to get healthier, and they looked incredible when they had everyone firing at all cylinders. I know you're shaking your head, but, like, let's be real. I just knew it was coming. They were outscoring people by 20 points. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, that's something you have to consider. The Jazz are surely, are surely going to be better. And then, heck, Dallas might figure something out. They might trade for a player. Like, you just never know. I mean, look at the Suns. No one thought last year they were going to be a good team, let alone it, it, the team winning the Western Conference. So I'm not saying for a second they're going to be really bad. They're going to be right up there. Heck, I didn't even mention the Warriors, who have two top 15 draft picks that could parlay that into another really good player. Clay's coming back. It's impossible to quite know what the – the top order of the, of the Western Conference is going to look like next year. So, yeah, I'm not going to say it's going to be a dynasty, but they're going to be really good for a long time, especially if Devin Booker can kind of take over not just his playmaking, but like as like that natural leader that Chris Paul has kind of done this postseason. Oh, Andrew, you know I love to just get at you, buddy. I only shake my head because I love you, but I appreciate you throwing my Warriors in there. I mean, some of the news uh, out of that camp is potentially flipping James Wiseman and 7 or 14 for Pascal Siakam. Interesting. Yeah, I don't be, know. One, one thing that I did notice. What's that? What? That'd be that'd be scary. That would be nice. That would be kind yeah, of scary, right? You know, the, the funny thing about your little rant there, Andrew, is the one team you didn't mention is the Clippers. Um, but let's let's talk about them a little bit. I mean, listen, Paul George had a great great postseason. I really do think that. I mean, aside from some key missed free throws, he kind of didn't show up in first halves of games, but really the guy carried the, the Clippers to where they were, and he did it without Kawhi. Um, 
you know, I'm not going to, we're not going to do this tired and play. Did he shed the playoff pandemic P whatever moniker? Cause I, I don't think he did. Right. I mean, the guy was fantastic when he was in Indiana. I mean, he went toe to toe with a, in his prime LeBron and was an absolute star. Obviously things have kind of led to where he is now. And maybe he probably never wishes he put himself with that moniker, but looking forward with the Clippers, right? I mean, is this Paul George's team or is this still Kawhi Leonard's team? Well, one, I did mention them, so come on. Uh, you know, I'm a, I blocked it out. Um, but no, yeah, I think it's really interesting because I don't think it's quite as simple as, oh, it's either Kawhi's team or Paul George's team. I really wonder, is Kawhi Leonard kind of more of a distraction and a pest in the locker room than we, we thought? Because obviously he won championships in San Antonio. He won one in Toronto. But you wonder if, like, in both of those situations, he was not having to deal with being the natural number one leader on the team. Because even though he was the best player in Toronto, Kyle Lowry was certainly the leader on that team. And in San Antonio, you had Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manu, you had Greg Popovich, you know, and then he comes to the Clippers and he's supposed to be taking on this kind of LeBron-like role where he's the go-to guy. You know, he's going to be the superstar that leads the team to a bunch of titles. And honestly, I just don't think personality-wise he's suited for that. And I think that's probably a huge reason why that team really was defunct last year in the playoffs is once they faced adversity, he was not suited to kind of get him out of that rut. And this year, with their backs against the wall, Paul George did that, for better or worse, whatever people think of him. You have to give him credit. He was the reason they kind of rose above what their expectations were, especially coming back from 2-0 twice and making this probably the most competitive series the Suns have seen in the playoffs. So yeah. I, I feel bad because I'm not really giving you an answer. I'm just kind of pointing out how complex the situation is that the Clippers could say, look, if we really want to do a, a long look in the mirror – Kawhi might be the issue and then you kind of either you have to go to him and say we have to change the dynamic we have here or do you maybe look at flipping him to the Knicks or like the, the Heat or someone who would definitely give you really good assets and then you already have a good team and and you go from there I don't know I mean like again like I said I'm not really giving you an answer but I'm just pointing out it's not as simple as oh Kawhi comes back next year and the Clippers are going to be right back to being a top three title contending team yeah, you're right. That, that wasn't an answer at all. But you did make some good points uh, along the way, though. But yeah, I, listen, Kawhi Leonard has all the talent in the world to be the alpha dog, but that is not his personality. He does not seem to want to be an alpha dog, nor does he even really have any interest in maybe even being like a number two, right? He's just a guy who seems to want to go out on the floor, do his thing, and he's got all the talent in the world, but he doesn't want to seem to be a leader of a team. Paul George wants to be a leader of the team, but then when they looked at him for big moments, like the missed free throws that he had earlier in the series, uh, you know, he kind of chokes chokes on on whatever you want to call it. But um, yeah, I mean, that's that's an interesting dynamic. Nobody's going to know what, what's going to happen with that in the off season with them, but certainly something needs to change. They're obviously going to need to move some pieces around because it's not a team that's capable of winning a title as constructed. Now, listen, I think one of the other sort of big things, right, regardless of who wins the finals this season, there was that huge, let's look back to last season, right? In the bubble, shortened season, you know, basically you want to, there was a lot of narrative of stupid people basically saying, well, this isn't a real championship, whoever wins it. Of course, the Lakers won it. Of course, they were probably the best team that year anyways. But, you know, you're starting to see that bubble up again, right? Because of this, this unreal amount of injuries that we've seen to stars in the playoffs, you mentioned it, 10 guys or 10 all-stars have missed games or going to with Giannis out tonight. Uh, NBA record I mean do you make anything or do you give any sort of credence over the folks who are saying well whoever wins this year is basically just the healthiest or luckiest quote-unquote team versus being the best team 
Well, I, I think there's some credence to it, but at the same time, you have to give whoever wins credit to say, like, you guys overcame the odds that were put in front of you, and the odds are clearly impacting all the teams evenly. I mean, even the teams that right now are still alive, the Hawks have injury issues, Trey Young missed a game, Giannis is going to be out, the Suns are without Chris Paul. So it's more like they've done more with what has been given to them, and you have to give them credit for that, even if we can sit here and say, okay, if Anthony Davis is healthy, they probably beat the Suns, or at least it goes down to the wire. If Jamal Murray is healthy, it's at least a series. It's not a four-out blowout. There's no Suns and four guy to even talk about. The Clippers with Kawhi, they might have won the series. Same with KD in the Eastern Conference. Like, it's unfair to the rest of the NBA to say as well, like, oh, whoever wins is clearly the best team because, I mean, I talked about this last week. I give the Hawks a lot of crap before this series, but if, I, if you told me tomorrow they were going to lose next year in the first round with the same roster, I would believe it. Like, no questions asked. So, you know, it's it's really one of those where I think it's a, it's a combination of really unfair circumstances and that team, whoever wins, is going to have a lot of good fortune. But at the same time, they've made the most of what's been handed to them. And there's been a lot of attrition that they've had to overcome that you have to give them credit for. And so, as I heard on a podcast earlier that I thought was a really good term, banners fly forever. Um, they're going to get some criticism for a little bit, but that banner, whoever wins, will always be up in their rafters. And 20 years from now, we'll be like, oh, yeah, the, the, the Suns won the title, and it was great. It was their first in franchise history. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of coulda, woulda, shoulda, right? I mean, if, if you're going to point to, oh, well, these guys were the healthiest team, or they're the ones who got the luckiest. I mean, basically, you're saying every NFL championship of the last 30 years doesn't count because it's basically whoever is the healthiest team at the end of the year. I mean, that's just what it is. Yes, the, the cream always rises to the top, but – you have to stay healthy. I mean, that, this is professional sports, especially in a season like this in the NBA. I mean, that shortened season, 72 games. I mean, I, I don't remember what, you know, as a fan, I love seeing this playoff schedule, right? You get game, 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 game. No, no more than one day rest for everybody. I mean, it used to be there were like three, four days. It was excruciating waiting between games. I mean, the toll on people's bodies on these players is, is, I mean, unlike really anything we've seen in recent memory. And I think you can anybody who's making that claim that oh well you you, you only won the title you only won the title in the the world's most per, most competitive professional basketball league in the world I already said the world but I'll, I'm gonna say it again you only did it because you stayed healthy I mean that's that's absolute BS but I understand there's always going to be that kind of asterisk if you want to call it but for my money the Suns are a good team who stayed healthy and they are the best team left in the playoffs so we'll see but if you're looking at the at the offseason right I mean there's all kinds of shakeups. You got Portland, Dame Lillard's futures up in the air. Dallas completely cleaned house after their first round exit. The Lakers definitely going to make a move. They're going to do whatever it is they do. Sixers blowing up their core. The Bucks might even change change coaches. I mean, Coach Bud might be gone. But this is a little bit of an impossible question. But I just want to get your take, Andrew. What is maybe the biggest storyline going into the NBA offseason? I think the biggest offseason question is just going to come down to. I think there's going to be some moves in free agency that no one sees coming. And as we've seen the last couple of years. There's always one move a year that takes a team no one's talking about and turning them into a title contender. I mean, the Clippers two years ago were good. They get Kawhi, you're like, all right, they're a good team now. The Paul George thing came out of nowhere. Chris Paul to the Suns came out of nowhere. Um, and, you know, I think you're looking at a situation where, like, you know, we, we just mentioned, oh, what if the, the Mavericks go, screw it, we can convince the Clippers to send us Kawhi, we'll give them draft picks galore. Suddenly Kawhi's paired with Luka. That's terrifying. Um, or you send Kawhi to the Heat. You know, I, Zion apparently is unhappy, unha uh, unhappy. Dame could go somewhere. I think there's just going to be a move that none of us are even speculating about right now that's going to happen. It's going to suddenly shift the power balance and hopefully 
you know, makes it so the Eastern Conference is a little more competitive, gets the, some of these juggernaut Western Conference teams a little more clarity of, of who they're dealing with. But, you know, I just think there's, there's some stuff that we're not even aware of yet that is going to have major impacts on next season. Well, that was the absolute best non-answer of all the non-answers you've given. I'm really today. good at that today. I, I, I really, that, that's beautiful, man. Thank you so much for that. But, but all right, one last sort of NBA topic, and I think it, it's something we could talk about every single year. It's the coaching carousel, right? I mean, we've got all kinds of names. There's probably going to be more once the season ends. I mean, just to, just to name a few, right? Rick Carlisle to Indiana, Jason Kidd to Dallas, Chauncey Billups to Portland, which I really want to talk about in a little bit, Andrew, because that – presser today i don't know if you saw it it was cringeworthy i mean maybe penny hardaway to the magic that's kind of cool but listen i don't think in a professional sport i mean maybe football aside but nba you know x's and o's you're not teaching fundamentals it's really how you are a leader of men right how do you control the locker room and that's the reason why indiana's coach got ousted because he couldn't get along with their best players and that's why rick carlisle is back there but from your standpoint, in terms of the coaching carousel, who's going to have maybe who's the best and the worst fit that have signed, you know, with new teams now? I don't want to say who's going to have the biggest impact, but it really is just kind of managing the team that you're going to have. And we don't know what's going to happen with with free agency. So just on the optics, on the surface, who's the best and maybe worst fit from this coaching carousel so far? Well, I think the best fit is going to be and I'm not saying this because I think suddenly this team's going to be a title contender, but I think Rick Carlisle to Indiana makes a lot of sense. He's much more of a direct kind of like doesn't want to deal with the prima donna, which is why he had a lot of issues with Luca. So you take a, a Pacers team that two years ago was really competitive. They were really competitive the years before this season. And you give them kind of a really good X's and O's guy that has some really talented players to work with, but doesn't necessarily have to worry about them being these, you know, superstars that kind of control the franchise, hold them hostage. And obviously he's had success there before. So I think he's going to go there. And, and obviously the Eastern Conference is a little bit weaker. So I could see them you know, emerging next year is like the fifth or sixth best team um, and really being a, a good player in the Eastern Conference. And then what was crazy to me was in Rick Carlisle's exit, they were asking him like, who should coach the Mavericks? And he said, Jason Kidd. And considering like the ugliness of that split, to me, I'm like, I don't think he's genuinely saying this as like his actual advice. I think he's trolling them a little bit. <laughs> and, you know, then they went and hired Jason Kidd and everyone's just like, they're doing this purely because he may relate to Luca better, but Jason Kidd's not been a great coach wherever he's gone. And I'm really not sure that this is going to do well for the Mavericks, which I'm not complaining about, but you know, I think I've, there's a reason there's been a lot of chatter that like, yeah, I don't think this is going to really be a good move for them. And in two years, this is going to look really bad for them. And it might, you know, for whatever it's worth, Luca may say, I don't want to play in Dallas anymore. And the fact that those situations are kind of tied is really interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting thinking that, you know, it was kind of maybe a troll job. I mean, Jason Kidd makes the most sense in the world, right? I mean, probably one of the greatest point guards, if not the greatest point guard in Mavericks history. The guy knows, you know, what he what it takes to get out of good point guards and good players, and Luka Doncic is exactly that. I mean, it seems like a match made in heaven on the surface, but, you know, maybe there's a little bit more something to it. Is that kind of what you're – the angle you're getting at? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I just think this year – for better or worse, it's kind of come out that the Mavericks will have been hand over foot for Luca, which is, I mean, understandable. He's one of the probably top five, 10 players in the league. But at the same time, how much does that lead to success when you're basically letting your star player hold you hostage and dictate everything? I mean, it wasn't just the coach that was ousted, longtime general manager, longtime other front office executives that were imperative to their success back when Dirk was there. I mean, I guess they hired Dirk to a role in the front office, which will help. Um, but you know, it's just, I don't think it sets a good precedent that Luke at 22 is already basically dictating everything that goes on in the franchise. And at 22, he probably doesn't actually know what it takes to win at the NBA. So 
they may have let a really good coach go without it really warranting like, hey, we actually need a coaching change. So they're trading a guy who gets along with Luca for a really good basketball mind. And that doesn't always translate to more success in the NBA is basically what I'm saying. Yeah, well, speaking of a star holding a franchise hostage for a coaching search, quote unquote, uh, I mean, look, look no further than Portland, right? And I think this is a little bit of a different scenario, not to say that Dallas isn't wholly dependent on Luka Doncic's success, but I mean, Dane Willard is Portland, right? And this mm. whole kind of parade, this circus that has gone on around the coaching search, you know, these stories coming out and saying, basically Dane Willard saying, I want either Jason Kidd or Chauncey Billups. That's who I want. And now he's kind of on the hook, right? He, he basically is saying now, look, I had nothing to do with it. They just gave me a list of names. And I said the two who I thought would be the best, but of course now everybody's going to ma- going to marriage or marry Chauncey Billups with Dame Lillard. Certainly Dame Lillard doesn't seem to be all that happy about everything that's kind of going on, that's going out there. But I think the main, the main thing is what the hell is Portland doing? Like, it seems you've, you've got a star in Dame Lillard who might be the only star in the NBA who has said multiple times, look, I'm not chasing a title. I want to win one here in Portland. I'm not going to go build a super team. I'm not going to go try to sign with my boys over here somewhere else so I can win a title. I want to stay in Portland. I want to win it. But they haven't built a team around him to win it. And now the GM, once again, on the, the presser today is just making a mockery of himself. Certainly, in, you know, for those of you at home, the a little bit of the background of the story, Chauncey Billups was – accused in 1997 of potentially raping a woman with one of his teammates that you know no charges were filed that's neither here nor there but of course the media members and first in his first head coaching job are going to ask him about that meanwhile the gm is basically saying don't worry about it don't worry about it we just trust that we did our due diligence you've got the pr jokers coming in and basically saying no he's not going to answer any questions about that when billups is really ready to do it i mean there's a lot to unpack there but really from portland standpoint i mean what do you think is going through their minds? Where what, what, what kind of approach are they taking here? Because it looks like they're doing everything they possibly can to get rid of Dan, Damian Lillard. I mean, they're basically just driving him out of town, whether they say they want to or not. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the, the GM at the press conference, that's just ridiculous. I mean, it's embarrassing. And, and especially in 2021, you can't avoid these questions if they're valid. Like if there's any validity to them possibly being true, you have to answer them. We all know about it. It's an elephant in the room. And then you just say, don't worry about it. It's just fanning the flames into an inferno. It's, I mean, I think clearly it's, it's, a, it's one moment, but I think it just speaks volumes of how the whole front office works, that it's just kind of dysfunctional. And, I mean, you said it best. Dame Lillard was Portland this year. Without Dame Lillard, that's probably a lottery team. And we saw it in the oldest play in the playoffs because he, went, he scored 55 points one game and they still lost. I mean, like, that should never, ever happen in a playoff game. So, especially, like, we, we've seen it before, too. It's not like this was the only year where he's had to just basically – put this team on his back and just drag them to barely being able to compete in the playoffs. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't look at Dame's situation and go, Oh, if he does get traded, it is him title chasing. I think he's just finally at his wits end with like, I want to be loyal. I want, I love the city. I love what, like what this fan base has given me, but you guys are, are you, I can only give you so much before you really like just going out of your way to hurt my career. And so I mean, I'd love to see him go to a team in the Eastern Conference and really get a better chance of like, you know, I'd love to see him go to a team like the, the Heat, where there's so much like structure. There's there's a great front office that is committed to winning. And I think he would get along well with Jimmy Butler. They're both no nonsense. Like, let's just go win. So I don't know. I, I love to see it because I don't like the Blazers. They've kind of, for whatever reason, tried to maintain themselves as the Nuggets biggest rival right now, which... I think this playoff shown that that's probably not the case anymore, but 
you know, I, I always love Dame Lillard. I, I love what he stands for as a small market guy that sticks up for his team. So I wish him the best, but, you know, yeah, the Blazers cannot get out of their own way. Yeah, Miami, no state income income tax. So that would be a, a nice little boon too. Yeah, I mean, it, it just – I want to put a bow on this because we really beat this to death, but it, it still always blows my mind where professional organizations, where the guys who are in the front office, where literally your singular job is to make the team better, which you would think is making your stars happy, still seem to continually just step in it time after time. And we saw with the Packers this offseason with Aaron Rodgers. Now we're seeing it with Portland and Damian Lillard. I mean, how much do you need to – you really don't need to do anything. And then you just you just continually shoot yourselves in the foot by doing stupid things, having stupid press conferences, not answering questions that are super valid. It's just – it's a silly thing. I don't have the kind of vitriol for Portland like you do. I, I knew you'd bring it back to the Nuggets somehow, Andrew. You were very, very talented at that. But, yeah, whatever they're doing in Portland, they need to stop, and they need it needs to start with firing the GM. But let's move on to a little Major League Baseball because I think we've reached our threshold of NBA for the day. But look, we really haven't touched on this in the last couple of weeks. Uh, obviously, now that the umpires, we've got the sticky situation, right? The umpires are now checking pitchers. And I got to say, I absolutely love the pitcher's reaction to this. I mean, we saw Scherzer, you know, wiping his hair and throwing his arms up. We got Sergio Romo from the A's literally just de-blousing, de just throwing his, his pants around his ankles. I mean, clearly the players have had enough of it. It's absolutely ridiculous. I guess my question for you, Andrew, is have we seen the worst of this so far or is it only going to get worse? Because we did have our first suspension. So I'm sure Robert Manfred's up in his ivory tower, just, you know, twiddling his thumb saying, yes, it's working. My plan. See, I think we haven't seen the worst of it yet because I think when the rule is handed down, the first reaction you assume is all the pitchers are going to be really good about it to start. All eyes are on them. They're going to play by the rules. They're going to stick with it. And then you think once the attention kind of wanes, it laxes, that's when you might see some guys try to, you know, weasel their way back into using it. And we already got a suspension, so you see one guy already doing it. Um, and I think we're just waiting for a really high-profile game. Maybe it's a playoff game. Maybe it's a really important game down the stretch in September where it's going to have a direct impact on a team in the playoff race. And I think that's when we're going to see it at its worst. And we're going to be doing this. We're going to have talking heads saying, did this sticky situation change the entirety of the season because of this one team, you know, doing something that now they're out of the playoff race and, or, you know, it really impacts like a, a great point on a playoff team. So just knowing baseball, we have not seen the worst of it yet because baseball like the NCAA cannot get out of its own way. So if there's a bad situation, you know, it's only going to get worse. Yeah. And you know, here's, here's a note to ourselves and pretty much every other talking head out there. We need to stop with the sticky situation quips. I mean, let's, let's think of something else. I don't know in the sticks or sticking it to them. I don't know. Give me something else because that, has already gotten old and you know it's only going to keep going. You're going to see all those headlines. Oh, sticky situation. But look, here's my problem with this. It's not just the rule and changing it mid-season, which I've already talked about. I mean, we saw Tyler Glass now go down a, a few weeks ago. Luckily, we haven't seen any other big-name pitchers really go down with it. But the problem with this rule, aside from when they implemented it, which is absolutely asinine, and Rob Manford has no idea what he's doing, but – it's, it, it doesn't even seem like it's really pinpointing the stars, right? Or the perpetrators. You mentioned, you know, the, it, it's more like a pendulum, right? Guys are going all eyes are on the pitchers now. They're going to stop. They're going to play by the rules now. And then, you know, maybe it starts to get a, a little bit more lax here in the next couple months, especially big games leading up to the playoffs, September, October. I mean, you're going to use every single bit that you can to get an edge, right? Like my old boss used to say, Jim Rome, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. And this is professional sports. Everybody does whatever they can to get an edge. You want to call it cheating? Fine. But I mean, what the Astros did, yeah, that was cheating. But 
I mean, you got guys, this has been something, the sticky stuff has been in the league for the last 10 years. It's just been something that people deal with. And now all of a sudden it's a problem. But, you know, I mean, we saw the crackdown with uh, uh, Mariners pitcher Santiago. I forget his first name. But, I mean, this is a guy who's a 10-year journeyman who just seemed, he said he was using rosin, which is totally fine, right? But, you know, they're making an example of a guy like this. And I, there was another guy in the red system who, who got suspended last week too. That they're making examples of the wrong people because this is not going to change what guys are going to do to get an edge, especially when it comes to playoff time. And I mean, really the other part of it is you want to crack down on guys who are using sticky stuff in, uh, you know, on their, on, on their hands, but you're not going to go and punish guys like Trevor Bauer, who is in the news for some really, really awful stuff. And guess what? Trevor Bauer is going to be pitching tomorrow because Oh, Dave Roberts says it's not in my hands. We're just going to let him go. I mean, this is the problem with MLB. You're, you're punishing the wrong people. You're implementing things at the wrong time. And you're just doing everything you can to look like an absolute idiot if you're Man Rob Manfred. I mean, it's just, it's an absolute joke. And especially at a time where Major League Baseball needs eyeballs, right? I mean, they're, they're known as that old white guy. That's, that's the only people, like the young people don't want to watch this. And now you're doing stupid shit like this. It, it, you're just shooting yourselves in the foot over and over and over again. I can't keep watching it. Yeah, no, the Trevor Bauer stuff's horrible. Oh, it's, it's bad. It's horrible. It's bad. It's, and, it, you know, kind of knowing Trevor Bauer's thing, I am not surprised for a second if any of it was true, which, yeah. And the fact that he's pitching, how do the Dodgers not have the wherewithal to say, hey, we should just not let him pitch for like a week? Pull them out. At least, out. if not more. Skip his turn of the rotation. It's absolutely absurd. I mean, you, you want to suspend a guy for using a little something on his glove, but you're not going to suspend a guy for allegedly beating the crap and beating a woman unconscious. Uh, what are we doing? I mean, you're making a mockery of yourself and your entire league in front of the eyes of the entire country. I mean, yeah. it's simple. And the sad thing is, is we're sitting here and we're going, we're not surprised that the organization's doing it. And that tells you that, the, that where the problem lies is we know what happens. We know they're not going to change. And like you said, we've talked about it many times on the show before. Baseball is just unable to change with the ways they cannot get out of their own way they don't really understand the root of the problems with some of these things and they just aren't really willing to listen to some of these things that they need to listen to and so yeah yeah and look my last point on trevor bauer look he is obviously a lightning rod you love him you hate him most people seem to hate him i actually have respect for him as sort of a guy who's just he he kind of just wears his heart on his sleeve right he'll talk about things you know he, he's he's given some really insightful really thoughtful responses on this whole, you know, sticky situation in the sticks. Here we go again. But, you know, at the end of the day, if these allegations are true, he's an absolute and total scumbag. And the Dodgers are even worse, frankly, for letting him to continue to pitch. And it's also, it's also wearing on major league baseball. So it's an embarrassment for the entire league. You need to be better. I, I'd like, well, I'd like to say be better major league baseball, but I know you're not going to. So what's the point? Um, but speaking of, I mean, that, Trevor Bauer and the Dodgers and all of Major League Baseball could certainly be our duds of the week, but uh, let's, I think we've hit that one enough. Let's skip to our dudes and duds of the week, Andrew. Who's your dude? Yeah, well, I'm going to give out two, real, just both real quick. You got to give a shout out to Chris Paul for finally getting to the conference or the finals after a 16-year career that'll surely get him in the Hall of Fame. If he can win this year, I think it solidifies him as one of the top five, if not higher, point guards ever. And then we haven't talked about Shohei Atani enough. I mean, the dude is absolutely raking right now. Um, he got... A little blowing up on the mound last night, but when it comes to hitting, he is just, he's doing stuff that hasn't been done since Babe Ruth was around. Um, really looking forward to the home run derby at Coors Field because, you know, he's going to have like 70 home runs. It's going to be great. Um, yeah, who are your dudes? 
Yeah, well, listen, Otani is the man, and we don't talk about him nearly enough. Unfortunately, there's too many embarrassing and crappy stories coming out of Major League Baseball these days to even, you know, give a guy like Otani the kind of run that he deserves. But, yeah, I mean, video game numbers, the guy's an absolute freak. He's not even human. For me, my dude, it's Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice and the Niners, because the Niners released their throwback unis, the red, the white. It looks great. Back from the days where Steve Young was throwing peas to Jerry Rice and John Taylor and routing the uh, San Diego San Diego Chargers, formerly uh, San Diego Chargers in the Super Bowl. But my man, Jerry, not only did he come uh, for a little throwback announcement for those jerseys, but he also laced them up. He threw his gloves on. He was out there running routes. And really, I think the saddest thing about Jerry Rice, he didn't live in the fantasy sports era because my man would be number one pick every single year. He's going for seven and he could go for seven, 160 and two touchdowns right now. The guy looks like an absolute stud and he's 58 years old. All right, Andrew, who's your dud? Oh, my God, is this a dud? Whew. For those of you that have not seen this, you need to go Google this right now and watch it on YouTube. It's the most insane thing I've ever seen, especially at the Tour de France. It's hilarious. For those of you that do not know, there's a clip of this lady who's a spectator at the Tour de France trying to – she's holding a cardboard sign, and she's trying to jut it out to be caught on TV, and she absolutely levels half of the cyclists in the race. Like I'm talking a major pileup that I think only the top 10 people in the race did not get affected by. So like those top 10 people were riding free the rest of the round because they didn't have anyone else racing behind them. And she's now since been arrested for this role because not only did she whack them over, but like many bikers had to retire from the entire race. They just had to give up on the race for the entirety of it, which from, I don't know if you guys know, but it's multiple legs. It's not just like one day. It's, it's kind of this whole couple week long thing. And I'm just sitting back going, can you imagine being a world-class cyclist training for years, devoting your life to the sport, finally reaching the pinnacle of your sport just to retire because some idiot French lady whacked you with the cardboard sign. Like that just is insane. That's like if your, your team's fine in the Super Bowl, you're the Cleveland Browns, you get in the Super Bowl and half your team can't play because a French lady hit you with a cardboard sign. It is absolutely in the locker room. They all slipped and broke their backs. It is yeah. absolutely bonkers to me that this happened. And that the entire story is absolute gold. If you haven't seen the video, you got to check it out, especially the aerial view where you just see literally it's just a pile like of bikers just on each other. Probably well, the funniest thing about it is, I guess, somebody read the sign and it basically said in, in German and in French, Go grandpa, go grandma. So that lady is going to get sued out the ass by an entire country just so she could say, go grandma and go grandpa. I mean, I, I really hope grandpa and Grammy are, are very proud of her. Yeah, no, it, like- I don't it, know, was it worth it? I'm not sure. It's simultaneously funny. And it's for those cyclists, it's gotta be the most frustrating thing ever. Yeah. I just- And she went on the run. And she went on the run like a fugitive. She went to some other country and they had to track her down there. I mean, the whole thing is absolutely bizarre and it's beautiful. I love it. It's, 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 uh, yeah, I just, I really hope this doesn't get forgotten. Cause like, you know, it's one of those with cycling, not being the biggest sport in two years. We're like, what happened? Like, this has got to be one of those monumental bloopers in sports for, for, for years to come. And I really hope it's yeah, there. But. That's an incredible one. It, it really is. It, listen, I'm actually going to break protocol because I got another dude for you. And it's actually the New York Mets. We're going to put, we're going to bookend this because put the New York Mets on blast at the open. They're still paying, it's Bobby Bonilla day. They're paying $1.25 million today. But you know what? The Mets and new owner Steve Cohen, they're making Bobby work for it finally. The last 20 years, Bobby's just been sitting back 
sipping Mai Tais and just collecting that check. But guess what? They're making, they're, they, if you haven't seen this, it's actually pretty awesome. So at City Field, they have an Airbnb where you can go and stay for a couple nights. They got everything you need, like a tr traditional Airbnb, and then you can go out on your balcony and check it out. So check out the game. The Mets are making Bobby Bonilla do an Airbnb tour. He's basically hosting an Airbnb event at City Field for some lucky winner who's going to get to stay there. So I, it's really nice to see that at least the Mets are doing a little something and making Bobby work for that money, for that cheddar. I mean, it's about time, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, imagine, <laughs> imagine still being like, I got paid $1.2 million to host some random people at an Airbnb for a weekend. I would do that 10 times. Yeah, yeah. So, it's still a good gig if you can get it, but if you haven't worked or maybe got off your couch in 20 years, it might be a little tough. So hopefully Bobby hangs in there. Uh, let me wrap this up. Last dude, and I'm doing this on behalf of our executive producer, Seamus. He is, uh, pray for him, everyone. He's doing his wedding photos right now, and he's definitely not pleased. Uh, but the New York Yankees swept by the Red Sox again. They're now 0-6 versus Boston this year. They're they have an awful, awful record in, in the division in the AL East in general, including shelling Garrett Cole on Sunday, six runs, three homers allowed. Then they blew a 7-2 lead to the Angels last night at home. They were up 8-4 with Aroldis Chapman on the hill, and they gave up seven in the ninth and lost to the Angels. I mean, listen, I don't hate the Yankees nearly as much as, as our boy Seamus does, but I think everybody can agree it's really nice to see the, the Yankees just languish in mediocrity and they are continuing to do that and they're keeping everybody like us happy and they're keeping really they're keeping uh, Seamus they're, they're allowing Seamus to sleep at night and maybe making his his wedding photos not nearly as painful so God bless you Seamus Godspeed happy Bobby Benita day everybody it is Thursday July 1st 2021 we are out for the walk-ups the walk-ons